This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. I'm Tulio Siragusa, broadcasting from Southern California. Joining me today are Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico, and Carlos Ponce in Cornavaca, Mexico. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Pleasure to be here. Today is Wednesday. Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. Uh, We're almost at the end of the month again. It seems like time is always flying. And we have a guest, as usual, uh, today, Jeremy Allman, who's the co-founder and CEO at PayStand. Good to have you with us, Jeremy. We're looking forward to speaking with you. What's up, guys? Nice to meet your team. Yeah, Jerry. All right. Hi, so guys. We're going to be talking about payments, and we're going to be talking about blockchain today. So, But before we get into the topic and introduce the topic, let's get to know our guest a little bit. Uh, Jeremy, if you could be so kind to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll uh, find out what your company's all about right after that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stoked to be here. Stoked to, to chat with the audience. Um so, so my name is Jeremy Almond. I've been, uh, we're going to talk about tech. I've been in tech uh, for 20 years. I got started in a startup um, in the, the late 90s and got to see a crazy run um, of what that looked like in the very, very first maybe tech bubble. Um, I've been doing it ever since, been super uh, just enjoying uh, how tech can kind of change the world and change society. Um, and so that's one of my great loves. But beyond that, you know, I, um, we are, we're all fully formed humans, right? So um, I love to uh, surf. My, my primary uh, residence is in Santa Cruz, California, which is this beautiful uh, beach town uh, in the Bay Area near Silicon Valley. Um, and I love to sail. I've had some really fun, amazing trips doing that. Um, and, and, and all of life to me is just a, a great blessing. Um, I did not expect I'd be in tech. Neither one of my uh, parents uh, went to college. Um, and so for me, um, uh, this is just kind of all a magic journey where my mother was originally came from Mexico, um, their family uh, before I was born and then married a blue collar, uh, you know, bricklayer. And um, I, I figured my life was going to be in um, a very, very different world. And so um, by just the, the, the luck and divine providence, uh, here we are talking about building companies and changing society, which is going to be a fun conversation. Excellent. Great to have you here. Love uh, Santa Cruz. Just the visit there quite regularly when i lived in uh, san jose so uh, nice to have you with us all right let's talk about uh, your company paystand uh, what gave birth to this idea and uh, what is it that you guys do yeah 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 so uh, i think all around us right like is uh, we're experiencing society that uh, the, the way we we deal with money has basically changed right uh, money has become software right so when we uh, walk out of uber right? Money just kind of magically moves back and forth between people, right? You used to change hands with a taxi driver and now instead, um, you know, money just kind of magically moves around, right? Um, and so, and, and all through life, kind of this is happening. And so um, our company, Paystand, is, is dealing with that on the B2B and commercial side. So we are a B2B payment network. You can imagine uh, a company like what Venmo or maybe PayPal does with consumers, making that money experience kind of modern and digital. Uh, we do for complicated commercial transactions. So large companies that move money back and forth uh, today, which are done on 
paper checks or wires or ACH, which were all built before the internet. Uh, we help modernize that process. And then for companies, create radically better economics um, through something we call payments as a service, um, which completely changes uh, how their business and ultimately the economy runs. Nice. Okay, let's see what we can learn and unpack today. It's very curious to see what kind of markets you're serving with that. So let's uh, introduce the topic. Kim, please uh, take it away. Sure. Thank you, Tulio. Thank you, Jeremy, uh, for joining us, and Carlos, as always. So, Jeremy, how payments are. Uh oh, is it just me or is Kim breaking up? I think, I think Kim's breaking up too. Yeah. Kim, Kim, we lost. Are we losing? Yeah, I can. Clear. Well, you want to introduce the show? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, the topic. Yeah, I'll be happy to. So, well, Thanks. today's topic, as chosen by our guest Jeremy today, is how payments as a service and blockchain are changing the B2B payments. So we're going to be answering the question, how can businesses adopt cutting-edge payments infrastructure and technology to automate their enterprise cash cycle and unlock growth? First question that I have for you, Jeremy, is why did you choose this particular topic and why did you feel it was relevant for today's day and age? Thank you. Yeah, so so I think, um, you know, so the first, I don't know, decade plus of my career was mostly in, you know, enterprise companies where, um, you know, oftentimes what happens in, in, in companies when they're growing is, is they try to basically build um, more and more of their business digitally, right? So it's almost trite. We say this thing called digital acceleration, which just is really companies that are becoming more and more digital natively. Um, what that means in practice is a company maybe has a CRM, like something like a Salesforce, and that's in the cloud. And they have a ERP, right? Like a NetSuite, Oracle, or Sage Intact or something, right? So they operate all their finances um, in the cloud. Um, and, and so all of their business is done digitally, which becomes really important in you know, today's kind of modern post-COVID world where everyone has to kind of operate either remotely or digitally or collaborate so the companies can compete. So all of that is true, and that's been the great narrative for businesses, let's call it over the last decade and a half. Ironically, though, the money movement side, the revenue, which is the lifeblood of the business, right? Like how the company gets paid is ultimately how they deal with payroll and bills and growing and everything else. Ironically, the revenue part, that part hasn't become digital, right? Um, and so I was, was a customer. I was at a startup that basically experienced this problem when the company got big. I then worked for a bunch of companies like um, SAP and other folks that, that tried to solve this problem. Um, and so, so even in today's post, you know, 2021 world, um, the money movement side is still broken, right? Financial infrastructure is broken. Um, and, and so, so that was, I would say the beginning of this view that, that, that payments as a service in the, in the business has to change um, for how money moves back and forth for companies to be competitive. Great. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Okay. Uh, do we have Kim, Kim back? Yeah, that's while you while you're looking at that, let me follow up, Jeremy. So yes. if you could paint the picture a little bit of what the ecosystem has been and where it could go, because I know that historically the the challenge has been 
the clearinghouses, they were very limited, if not only one or two, that could clear all these transactions, right? The banks really were facilitators for businesses to move money, but the clearinghouses were the ones that were actually making everything happen. And everything was dependent on, like you said, this ACH system, et cetera. So by introducing this, how does that change? Does it go around the clearinghouses and how? What's the thought process on how this disrupts that traditional ecosystem that doesn't serve today's businesses any longer? Yeah, totally. So, so the it's a really, really astute point is the financial infrastructure just overall hasn't caught up to the internet, which is wild. Um, and so in today's day and age, even in the US, you know, modern financial infrastructure, you would think, except for on the commercial side, half of all commercial payments, and so we're talking roughly $18 trillion in, in volume, um, massive part of the economy actually is done through paper checks. And then the rest, like you say, are old clearing houses that were built before the internet. And the problem is that means that um, the banks and other folks are kind of the choke point and the banks aren't technology companies. Um, and, and, and in a way, this is actually the great reason why I started the company. So oftentimes like entrepreneurs will start a company first for professional reasons. They sort of know this, the space. And that was a big part of it. But the other big part for me was um, I, I probably wouldn't have started it if it wasn't for a personal reason too. And the personal reason for me was um, uh, over a decade ago now, um, I, I mentioned my, 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 my parents kind of, um, you know, socioeconomic situation growing up. They did what a lot of, I think, um, you know, Americans uh, would do, especially, you know, like um, when one side is an immigrant family, um, they, they really have two main goals in life, I think. The first one is, uh, you know, to see your, your, your child do a little better right? Like maybe to go to college, maybe to have a slightly better, um, you know, work life than you did. Um, and, and so that was a lucky thing for me. And then the second thing is oftentimes, at least in America, is to buy your own home, right? Like, so, so you spend all your time, energy, and effort to do that. And my, um, my parents did that. Um, they spent like 20 years kind of working in construction, bricklaying, that sort of thing. Um, and they finally bought this 800 square foot home. And then with that 800 square foot home, they worked, they, they lived in it for another decade. I went off, I was in tech um, and um, things were kind of good. And, um, but, but, but in 2008, um, uh, my family was one of the many millions of Americans um, through a bunch of just like bad happenstance um, who lost their home in the financial crisis. Um, and, and they were just like one small story of a story that reverberated through the US. Um, and I think, I don't know if you remember that time, but during the financial crisis, there was like this kind of great unrest and this feeling that, um, you know, the financial system had let us down, banks could do better, right? And the system was kind of broken or unfair. Um, and so for me, I, I ended up um, uh, basically because of that, I went back to grad school at the time and I did my, my master's thesis on why were banks too big to fail um, what were the systemic problems with the financial system um, that caused unfairness in the system? And how could technology be a democratizing force to those systems? And so um, the outcome of that was this view um, that, that, that technology has been a democratizing force for so much of the rest of um, culture, society, our economy, and ultimately the world. Um, but actually, it hadn't touched financial services that much. And so, so, so I think the great change that's happening over the 
the, the recent decade, which is what fintech is and blockchain is and payments and services, is allowing technology to create fairer, better financial infrastructure than has existed in the last 20 plus years. Jeremy, I got a question. We're discussing fin uh, financial uh, technology in, in the financial space, right? Or fintech. So if, if I ask you from, let's call it the, the, the layman's perspective, someone who's not 100% knowledgeable on the, the deep and the tech components of, of the, the space, you mentioned something that kind of intrigued me and uh, I would like you to help me clarify You mentioned that uh, banks, for example, are not uh, are not digital. So, what what did you mean by that? I mean, not completely digital. They haven't gone completely digital, and so I'm kind of intrigued because whenever I do my banking, everything's digital. Like, so from the app or the or the website or the anything the 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 the, um, the wires, everything I do is digital. So can you explain or clarify that element, that part? What what did you mean by not everything is digital? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so so I think um, there's a few areas. The, the companies themselves oftentimes aren't digital, meaning um, they literally, like in post-COVID, we heard all these scenarios where customers of ours, um, before they were customers, Um, they would be able to work remotely digitally, but then they would actually literally go into the office to be able to collect checks to manually like key them in and actually like reconcile their banks and all these things. So, so, so the, the companies, the corporates still have a long way to go. Um, and, and that's one side. But the other side, which is the actual bank infrastructure, um, you'd be surprised. Fintech seems like everything is like next gen, but here's the reality. Um, So I, I've got my latte. It's my, um, I don't know, my one vice in life, you know, paying for a $5 cup of coffee. And, um, you know, the fascinating thing about um, how the, the credit card companies work is so when I went in to your point and I bought my coffee, I actually like used my mobile phone and I like, like wanded it. Right. And it like magically like mm -hmm. debited my $5 for my bank account. Like the experience felt really, really cool. Um, But but here's what's actually happening behind the scenes. So the the the, the coffee company, the, the coffee shop, they were charged about 3%. Okay. Um, that's the kind of average fee in the US um, to be able to collect that money. So if I handed them $100 or $5 in this case, and it was cash, they'd receive cash. But in, in the case of it, when it went through the banking system and the credit card networks, they actually didn't receive the full $5. They received... Well, 97% of that, right? So, so in this mm -hmm. case, basically the banks took 30 cents, which is probably fair. It's reasonable. Um, and they took 30 cents. Why? Well, to your question, because they don't, the banks don't actually know instantly. They don't talk to each other and know how much money does Jeremy have in his bank account? Is Jeremy a safe person? Is Jeremy not, you know, a, um, a person who's, Who, who actually doesn't have $5 in his account. They don't know any of that. So the reason why they charge 3% is they're extending credit um, risk. And that's why they charge that to the merchant. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's that's why the whole credit card industry is built that way. Um, so, so here's the two problems. One, um, you know, actually in today's day and age, the, 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 the money you and I have actually could, could be known in real time. And that's kind of the power of blockchain and some other things. Um, and so maybe that 3% not fair at the consumer level. Um, I don't know. That's 
our company is not a consumer company, um, but, but it's an argument. On the business to business side, it's actually a much deeper problem, which is um, the business is the reason why so many of them stay in paper checks in this manual process is because they can't move to that credit card kind of view that a consumer can. Because when a business sends a $100,000 invoice with a company they've worked with for a decade, you're not going to pay 3% on that $100,000 invoice to, to, to receive your money. Like that would be like insane. I'm going to give the bank $3,000 for a company that I worked with for a decade that has, I don't know, a billion dollars on their balance sheet. Like, like that's just insane. And so the problem is the, the, the old financial infrastructure actually doesn't work for those commercial payments. And so there's nothing for it to go to. And so that was kind of the reason why PayStand was created was to solve that problem. And so we allow money to move back and forth instantly for free, kind of like Netflix. So you pay $10 a month in, in Netflix and you get instant everything all unlimited because why the, the media is software. And so what we say is money is now software. And so it should be able to move instantly and automatically and without those fees, which the banks charge. Great, thank you so much, Jeremy. Okay, back to you guys. Very interesting. You were telling the story about how uh, in the background there's all this manual work that the banks do. And I was remembering a software company that was creating vaporware initially and pitching it. And in the background, someone was listening and clicking the next uh the next screen when it's, you know, to make it look like it was actual software. I actually was in an organization that did that. And then eventually, obviously they created the product and became a market leading product, but it's just an interesting thing what companies do to try to look digital. But uh, so blockchain, is that what makes this whole possible because of the way blockchain handles transparency and records and things of that sort? Uh, is that why this is possible? Because otherwise, like you said, every transaction is like you're, you're factoring the invoice, every transaction, uh, which is ridiculous. So what's the thought process? Uh, is this only possible because of blockchain? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's three main things that make um, that exist now that didn't exist a decade ago. So so one is, um, you know, in the business world, actually, most of their um, their their financial and key company information is actually in the cloud. Okay. Meaning like, you know, um, when you and I, when I ask you maybe rudely, like how much money do you have? The way you would maybe respond is I'd look at, you'd look at your bank account, right? Um, when you ask a, a, a corporate officer um, at a company, the CFO or whatever, how much money does the company have? Um, they actually do something different. They look at a, a report that gets run out of their cloud system somewhere. So money kind of exists um, in this thing called a balance sheet, right? Like it's not like a bank thing. It's actually a, a company's balance sheet and the receivables and payables, what's owed and paid. So, so one is this notion that the, the companies already think about money a little bit differently than you and I do. Um, and so if those exist in technology systems, wouldn't it be cool if they talk to each other? Two, um, the fact that um, there's now real-time banking that could, in theory, talk to each other. So there's financial infrastructure now with fintech companies that can talk to each other real-time. Like, that didn't exist together. Um, and then three, the, your point about blockchain. A lot of, there's a lot of, like, misconception on what blockchain is. A lot of people think about it as crypto or other things. Um, and, and it is can be that. But it's also something more fundamental, which is um, 
technology infrastructure that can stitch the financial systems together um, in real time um, without having to go through an intermediary. And so because those companies have that information sitting in those systems somewhere, boy, doesn't it seem to make sense that they could just talk talk together instantly the way you and I can send money back and forth over you know Venmo or something like that? Um, and so that's what the, the the blockchain enables, right? Is a new financial infrastructure that's digital and internet first. And if you have that, well, then you can think of money as software and you can move it fast and cheap and automatically, um, which is kind of, you know, I think all of what we are starting to experience on the consumer side, but do not experience on the business side yet. Thanks. So first of all, can you hear me now? Uh, <laughs> now I'm a rising commercial. Yeah. We're gonna be keeping going back to old yeah. practice here. Um, perfect. <laughs> so my question is, what is the real life implication? Let's say, Jeremy, all of this wish list, this technology that you have lined up, systems talking to one another, we figure it out. What impact does that have, both for businesses and ultimately the consumer? What's yeah, totally. the benefit of all of this? Uh, you know, I think the benefit in general of technology is it should be, um, you know, creating better, cheaper, more efficient systems so we can um, grow our economy, right, um, and help the, the companies actually hire more and do more um, and ultimately create more value in our, our society. Um, and hopefully it's being more fair, too, right? Um, to make that more practical, though, let me give you an ex a example. So um, what, what did... Uber, you think of as a transportation company, but it's in many ways like actually a, 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 a weird payment company. And what I mean by that is um, Uber democratized um, access, right, where there was a gatekeeper, in this case, the taxi company. Um, but then also the experience was a, a very manual experience, meaning I had to call the taxi company, I then get to the place. Um, and then I would exchange money manually, and then that 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 driver would take it back to the taxi company, right? Like um, there was lots of slow points in that process, which made it expensive, and um, you know um, only in the power of a few, and ultimately not great for the user. Um, so 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 what does Uber do? It makes it so I can instantly get to the place I'm supposed to go with anyone, right? Democratizes that. That person then automatically gets the money the moment I walk out of the car. Right, and then they 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 get their they get a the larger uh, percentage. So, what does that mean for a company like us? Think about it on the commercial side. So, on the commercial side, an example of a company we might work with is on the supply chain. So, what happens when the a boat comes in right from into the port of San Francisco, and it's got goods and services, and it's got to deliver those right to a maybe a distribution center. And there's, there's trucks that kind of move all those goods and services. And then they need to move that to the retail center, right? And so all along the way, you have the businesses which are buying, right, the, the goods and services. I don't know, maybe it's a pallet of beer, right? So they're buying the beer from a bodega from the distribution center. The distribution center is getting it from the boat. The boat's getting it from the manufacturer. Um, it, it, today, all that happens manually. And it happens in a very, very expensive way, either because it's um, cost costly from the labor side, or it's costly from the, the, the bank fees that run all those processes. And then they've got to kind of chase all the money down. Um, and what we're saying is, boy, that should be an Uber-like experience. And what does that allow? That allows the money to automatically kind of move more frictionless. It allows better co com competition 
with those companies because they're not changing hands and giving more money through the middle pe the middle people where the banks aren't actually doing much along that process, right? Um, and allows them to be able to scale faster and hire more um, and, and ultimately allow the economy to kind of work better as opposed to it accumulate um, some of that money with the banks, which they're not really adding a ton of value, the credit card companies or whatever aren't adding a ton of value. So, um, so it lowers the cost. It automates the process so the companies can scale better and then ultimately helps those companies be more capital efficient, um, which is great for our economy. Jeremy, if I have a company and I have an interest in, uh, let's say, factoring, for example, uh, selling my accounts re account receivable, is there any chance that payments as a service can benefit me? Or is there a place for uh, payments as a service in my business plan if I am considering uh, uh, factoring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's a really good question. Maybe just not everybody knows what factoring is. So let me explain that first. Um, so factoring is this notion um, on, on the business side, um, there's something that exists is a little different than on the consumer side. On the business side, um, you and I as a companies might agree like, hey, I want these goods and services. You're going to deliver them. And then then an invoice and a contract will say, and then in 30 days, I'm, you're, you're going to pay me for them. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. That's tricky, right? Because maybe as, as, as I'm a business, I actually have to go build those things. And so I have to like pay for them before you're going to pay me for what I deliver. And so factoring is basically saying, hey, I know you're going to pay me, but um, you haven't paid me yet. And so um, I'm going to sell the fact that you're going to pay me um, and I'm going to get my money early. But then I have to I have to pay someone for that, meaning like I have to borrow more money. Right. Um, so so whether it's a bank or a tech company um, and that's one way to be able to to help your business kind of grow faster. Um, but it's a very, I would say, in some ways, old school way, which is, you know, again, you're extending credit. Somebody on the other side saying, I'm going to give you these terms, but I'm not going to give you all. I don't know, a thousand dollars. I'm going to give you nine hundred of it. Right. So who makes that extra money? Usually the banks um, and usually that risk. They're, they're actually taking a lot of cream on the top. And so what we're saying is, um, wait, what if you could just like instantly get get paid on that day 30 instead of having to tra track it down? Um, what if all of those costs that you incur otherwise um, make it so that you know you're going to get paid, you know you're going to get um, the money and you have to borrow less of it? Maybe you still borrow some of it, but you borrow less of it. That means your company ends up having more capital and, and, and the banks are taking less of that right, for you to stay capital efficient. So that's kind of our hope is um, what banks throw financial engineering at, we're throwing technology at and saying, um, you know, what your bank margin is or your credit card margin is, is just an opportunity for technology to give that back to companies and give it back to the economy. Mm, right. well, better yet, everyone in the ecosystems agrees to the terms and the end buyer pays and everybody gets paid at the same time. That's right. Yeah, like I, ideally, that, that would change things, right? That would yeah. speed things up in terms yeah. of getting things done. In a perfect right, we're world, we're coming up right? on time. We're coming up on time, and I, we definitely want to spend a little time understanding the company culture a little bit. You guys recently uh, have grown quite a bit. You've gone. I think you're doing your Series D funding. It's pretty significant size uh, Series D funding. So you're growing and expanding. What kind of people come work for you, and why? What's the culture yeah. like? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we we tend to be a very mission-driven, impact-driven culture. Um, first, because, you know, at the end of the day, especially in today's day and age, 
like there's lots of opportunity, right? Like there, there's lots of places you could go. Um, and, and in reality, in, in, in the, the, the best skilled labor, there's oftentimes like labor shortage right now. Um, and, and so what we believe is um, uh, people who are aligned with, with mission actually are the most activated people. And so um, my bosses, the board know that like, I don't care about money, power or fame. Um, what I care about is going and changing a broken financial infrastructure. And so I, I will um, I will do that for free. I will just go get coffee and take out the trash um, because 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 what I hope we're doing is bigger than just ourselves. And and that's democratizing the financial system. And so um, first and foremost, like people who work here tend to be very mission driven and very impact driven. Um, and, and then we kind of look, you know, we are. Um, uh, we're a company that has um, locations all over um, the, the world at this point. Um, and, and oftentimes what we find is um, what's, what's been cool is even though our, our, our maybe let's call it first center of, of location is in Silicon Valley, we kind of think about decentralizing Silicon Valley where um, whether it's our offices in Mexico or offices in the Midwest um, or people kind of all through those, those locations, um, we, we want people who are swinging really big um, because it's really great for a technology company to have this big vision and great, like kind of missional Kool-Aid. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like um, uh, results matter. And so what we've kind of just been quietly doing is, is, is going, it's one thing to talk about blockchain. It's one thing to talk about fintech. It's one thing to talk about um, sort of democratizing financial services, um, but, 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 but prove it. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think, We've been, uh, we're, we're the third fastest growing company in Silicon Valley, which is arguably the fastest um, growing companies in the world. We've been on the Inc. 500 list the last two years running. Um, and so, um, uh, and I think we're probably the largest uh, commercial blockchain, right? Like on the planet right now, in terms of overall volume, we're doing many, many billions of dollars. Um, and, and so we're able to do that because a lot of the culture is not just missional driven, but impact driven people who really want to swing big and go, there's something bigger than what we're doing. And so we're going to run through walls and change the world to do so. Awesome. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure to have you as our guest. Uh, we wish you a lot of success. It's really great to see such an amazing disruption. I was in FinTech for many, many years and uh, in the traditional world. And so this is like such a huge uh, leap forward in terms of what you guys are doing. Anyone who's in who's been in the space understands that. So congratulations. Stay with us in just a minute as we go off the air for wrap up. Carlos, we got one more show tomorrow. What do we got coming up? That is correct, Julio. We have Rohin Parker, the co-founder and CEO of Spintly. Spintly. The topic is going to be wireless mesh, the future of building automation. That's what we're going to have right here on Dojo Live as, as usual at 12 p.m. Pacific. So remember, everybody, the audience, don't miss it. Join us tomorrow. Have fun. Enjoy life and be safe. See you tomorrow. Uh, we're all curious how Carlos Hi. did that without Thanks, opening guys. his mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah it, <laughs> I didn't, Tulio. That, that was my, tele my telepathy skills. You just heard me here. It was amazing. Mind. You didn't even move your yeah. mouth. It just all Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.